the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host, and today we have Jeffrey Welsh, who is an entertainment and cannabis attorney working for Vicente Cedarberg. So, um, you and you're also the composite agency co-founder. Jeffrey is a partner at Vicente Cedarberg, where he focuses his practice on advising companies, brands, entertainment, and media properties, other law firms, and investors on how to navigate the California cannabis market space. Um, welcome. I'm just so happy to have Thank you, you here. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much, Sarah. No, it's a pleasure to connect and a genuine pleasure to be chatting with you today. Excited for our conversation here. So I'm going to ask you the question, the first question I, I ask most of my guests. What's your first sure. experience with cannabis? Sure. So well, I'll probably break it out into two. My, my first one is sort of a classic, um, you know, I was in, I was in high school, um, received some, uh, some cannabis from a friend of mine. Um, and, um, I always got home about 40 minutes before my mom got home from work. Um, so I believe I was a junior in high school, um, found one of my grandfather's old tobacco pipes and, um, went to my room and smoked, um, except I forgot to open the window. So, um, there I was for the first time and, uh, as a first time consumer, I actually got, you know, pr- quite high, which, uh, you know, isn't consistent with a lot of people's, you know, first experience. Right. Um, so I'm sitting there in my room, kind of stoned out of my mind. My mom comes home, you know, <laughs> opens my bedroom door, um, starts asking me wh- where, where's the pot. Um, <laughs> and I, and I kind of feigned like I had no idea what she was talking about, but needless to say, uh, we, we came to an understanding that she wouldn't tell my dad. Um, and, uh, and, and it was all good. So that was the, that was my very first experience. And, and frankly, it kind of scared me out of considering, uh, you know, consuming again until college. So in, in college, I, I majored in um, saxophone performance and, you know, did a lot of, you know, jazz and, and classical saxophone um, up at a music conservatory called the Hart School of Music, uh, which is in West Hartford, Connecticut. It's part of the University of Hartford. And there, that's when I actually had a meaningful uh, introduction to cannabis Um you know, it basically was spending 10, 12 hours a day, you know, playing music. Um, and um, a lot of my jazz colleagues, uh, some of the older, you know, upperclassmen at the school, um, I noticed would frequently take smoking breaks, you know, at, at night. Um, and so, you know, one night I kind of joined them, we're chatting with them, just trying to, you know, be one of the cooler underclassmen and, and, and start to, you know, make, make friends with some of the older colleagues at the school. And, um, that is really what I think meaningfully opened the door to me because they explained it as a way to really get out of your own head um, and really start to, you know, sort of explore from an imp- imp- improvisational perspective um, ideas that you might not normally be able to explore, you know, completely sober. Um, and so that was, you know, really meaningful for me. I wasn't consuming all the time in college, but, um, you know, I'd say probably like once a week um, if I sort of hit a wall with a practice session, um, but wanted to, to keep playing for, you know, another hour or two, um, I would consume. And that was really, you know, for me, a, a wonderful and, and meaningful introduction to the power of the plant on the, on the creative side, um, for, for me. So, um, that, you know, that, that was it, that was it for me. Um, that this is sort of a, a tale, tale of two, uh, two stories there. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, it's, it's interesting because when I have had guests who have a creative background, it always seems to be part of, it was, it's, they start to like it as part of the creative process. And then alternatively, when I have guests on who have an athletic background, they initially were like, yeah, I decided not to do it because I was worried that it would, you know, affect my performance. But later on, we're like, I wish I would have considered it back in the day yeah well it's it's so interesting you know now that I'm you know that was college was you know 17 18 years ago now for me um you know and now I rarely smoke I'll probably smoke like once a month um you know just on a weekend or at night if I've had a really tough day but you know now I use cannabis topically and I love you know microdose beverages so um I I ingest my cannabis and I apply it topically and, and smoking is not the go-to 
um, these days, unless again, I'm like in the studio late at night um, and, uh, and looking to come up with some new ideas. So um, it's, de- it's definitely evolved. You know, my, my use, um, you know, of, of cannabis has certainly evolved over time as well. Well, it's nice because there are so many pleasant ways to use it now. Before it was like, I remember back in the 215 days when I had my card and getting a beverage um, was kind of like holding your nose <laughs> and drinking it. <laughs> the 500 milligram or the 100 milligram beverages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, so, I'm so happy we've evolved past that i i um yeah i those days as well i I remember my first edible experience was um i didn't realize it until after the fact because i was just you know ignorant as to dosage um at the time and this was before you know i'd I'd started practicing in the space um you know and and ended up taking like you know edible that was 150 milligrams and yeah i I slept for you know a solid 18 hours i think um Uh, I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, the industry is evolving um, to more functional um, products because, I mean, that, that's where I think the, the, the most benefit um, to the plant is out, outside of strictly, you know, medical use, uh, which is obviously, to me, the, the, the best use uh, of cannabis. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I got into, um, I got into, can- I mean, I had used cannabis when I was younger. Um, and definitely had occasionally used it as an adult, like like you probably like once a week or something like that. And when I had cancer in my late thirties, that's when I started using it more regularly. But like being in after after cancer, I decided not to go back into the office because you know eh, when things happen to you, you kind of reevaluate things in your life. And um, I was sure. yeah, you know, I was going back to school, and I decided to get a job in a dispensary so I didn't have to be anyone's boss and I thought it would be like you know working in a coffee shop but when you first get into a dispensary and you're trying everything and it's like there are just so many different things and you end up like using a lot of different products and then we find like I was just talking to a colleague about this the other day it's like after you've been in this space for a while it starts to shift and you start thinking about well what can I use to actually that's functional that can enhance my life? And so for me, like I do like to smoke from time to time, but um, you know, I really am into a lot of like the tinctures and like you, the drinks, like I've been playing with a CBD to CBG ratio. That's really helped me focus during the day. So there's no THC in it really at all. Right. You know, I think, no, that that's, I mean, that to me, that's the future, you know, it's, it's, looking at kind of the arc of, you know, the California marketplace, specifically on the beverage category. I just, I represent a lot of, you know, beverage companies and, and finally, you know, the consumers are starting to demand that more and also distributors right in the state are finally able to actually handle, you know, the larger weight and quantity, right? Like obviously it's easier to ship um, a bunch of oil or flour products um, that weigh significantly less than, you know, several dozen cases of, of a beverage. So I'm really, um, I'm excited to see how that continues to, to evolve. And, and what you just touched on, Sarah, sort of, you know, proprietarily, or, or I guess, individually formulated cannabis products, you know, we're starting to see those come out that, um, you know, I have a couple of clients that are working on sort of, you know, subscription boxes, you know, they could deliver to you monthly and you can sort of tinker with your own formula to sort of find your best fit. And, you know, given we all have our, you know, own individual, unique, you know, endocannabinoid systems, uh, that's crucial, right? Because the whole concept to me, which was like a hot topic a couple of years ago, of like find your strain. Well, it's not even find your strain. It's like find your individual cannabinoid profile that works for you, you know, and, and that wasn't really an option for us a couple of years ago. No, we weren't having that conversation. And that's, you know, I, as, as an educator, I always tell people, you know, somebody comes to me and they say, oh, you know, I had these chocolate covered blueberries or some, somebody had these chocolate covered blueberries and it helped them sleep. And I want to try that. And I was like, well, that's awesome. I'm glad you had the conversation. But now let's figure out what works for you because we are all so different. And I always tell right. people, you know, the goal is to find the ideal ratio at the lowest volume possible that creates a desired reaction in the body. Because even if you're looking at something that's non-euphoric, if you're taking more than you need, it may cease to be effective and bait your wasting product. Right, right. Yeah, 
no, that's, that's well put and well said. Um, and that's, yeah, like I said, that that's just something I'm, I'm excited to see our industry continue to evolve. And um, it, it's so funny, Sarah, you know, when I go, so I'm originally from the East coast, but I've been living in LA for 15 years. And every time I go back, um, I feel truly like an ambassador of the space, um, you know, outside of Philadelphia is where most of my family is based. And um, I was just home uh, for a family wedding uh, three weeks ago. Um, and at the wedding, um, man, I was just peppered with all sorts of questions about different products. You know, Pennsylvania is obviously only medical right now, uh, so that limited, limited selection. Um, but just seeing, you know, I ended up, um, you know, just ha- having an opportunity to kind of take a peek inside of the dispensary there and just looking at the selection or lack thereof compared to what we have. Um, it, it makes me proud to really feel like I'm part of, you know, this wave of change in California. And it's not like that's not happening in, in other states, of, of course, Colorado and, you know, all, you know, the Pacific Northwest and Massachusetts and Michigan, they're all, all doing amazing things. But um, it's, uh, it, it's just, it's always interesting, you know, kind of exploring other state markets and seeing where they're at, because it feels like the Prop 215 days there when you, go, when you go and see kind of the, what, what products are available. Um, and so that's just really exciting for the future of our space once, you know, once everyone can have access to to the type of products we're talking about that are most beneficial. Yeah, and it's interesting when you look at different states and how they've approached it. Like one of the things that I noticed like as some as a policy advocate when we were, you know, waiting for 64 to pass and one of the things I was talking to people about is, you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We should be looking at what other states are doing and what worked and what didn't. We really didn't do that. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> we did not. No, but it, all the states tend to, I, I always see that they base their policies on two, a lot of factors, but two of the strongest factors that I've noticed are the state culture, which is incredibly strong. And then yep. there's a lot of stigma. And I even noticed that, too, when I was looking at some of the language of the Moore Act, like, there's some major stigma-filled language, even though it's it's we're looking at legalization as at a federal level, which is is interesting. Because did you see that portion on taxation? And I think I mentioned this in my last episode because it just it it just frustrates me, where they were talking about if product was stolen from a facility, and if it couldn't be proven beyond you know a doubt that it was. It wasn't for on the onus wasn't on the owner or the staff. There was no negligence that they'd still be on the hook for the taxes to the Fed. Wow, wow. I mean, it's 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 painful to to, you know to you know the the tax portions of most of the regulations are are brutal. I mean, that's what's killing, uh, not killing. I mean, that's what's really you know making it tough in in California. I mean, there's so many you know, municipalities that have, you know, uh, just exorbitant taxes and coupled with the state taxes, you know, the, the regulators are wondering, you know, why and how the black markets uh, or, the, or the, you know, legacy markets still competitive um, here, you know, for a lot of our clients, um, you know, and it's not all of them, but certainly a, a large amount of them, just because I have that relationship with them, you know, they're candid with me. And um, if they have an opportunity to, to, <laughs> To, to sell products on the legacy market, um, it's it, it just it, it's a way for them to survive right now. Right. Um, you know the margins are so slim, and it's not like we have we don't work. You know, my firm doesn't work with nor obviously advise you know clients on, on how to on how to do that. Um, but that's just the reality of the space right now, and it's we're not talking about people who want to cut corners or who who want to participate in the legacy market. We're talking about people who you know, have a full team of people that are concerned about making payroll, even though they have, you know, air quote, a successful business in, in the regulated space. And um, the, the number one reason for that um, is, is, is our tax issues, you know, and I, I would say uh, probably the one B reason is, at least in California, is, you know, the, the cost of acquiring licensure, right, and the availability of licensure overall, you know, just this, this patchwork of the, you know, almost 400 municipalities we have in California. And it's just, it's challenging. It's getting better. You know, I, I remain optimistic. And I think, you know, the, the people like us and, and the industry at large, you know, continuing to have these conversations, push forward, advocate, advocate 
um, we'll get there eventually. I mean, we're still only a couple years into this um, experiment here, but um, it's certainly frustrating. And, um, and you hit it on the head. I mean, taxes just tend to be the, the biggest, I feel like, gap um, between what the regulators feel is appropriate and, and what is anywhere near you know, appropriate for, for our space. I feel like we almost have to have two different classes in economics. One, for the people who are purchasing so they understand why everything's gotten so expensive and that it's not because of the producers or the dispensaries. And two, like some economics lessons for our policymakers because it seems like common sense has kind of been thrown out the window and there needs to be some accountability. And part of that, I think, is activating voters so that they they demand it. Because, like, last, was it last year? Oh, no, it was actually pre-pandemic because we were all at in-person oversight committee. We had a report uh, come in from a city family about the price per gram of cannabis. And they were talking about how the prices had gone up per gram. And they it was a... And it was a controller's report, and they were saying, um, you know, the price has gone up due to competition. And so I spoke up, and I was like, prices don't go up because of competition. <laughs> prices right. prices go up because prices go down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> prices go down because of competition. Yeah. And, and you know, this is something that they know in every other field, but when they when they're looking through the lens of cannabis. It's like they just tried to explain away things. And I actually got quoted in several articles because of that. I got quoted for common sense. Like, I right, should, there, right. there which, which, yeah. should never have been a quote. <laughs> no, no. Um, but, but it takes, um, I, to me, doesn't it feel like sometimes the regular, like it's, it's the, it, we're overcomplicating things, right? Yes. I, I think there's almost like, like this isn't, this isn't that compl- complicated. And look, you know, tasking, to be fair, right, you know, tasking, you know, uh, regulators and authorities who have no experience, you know, uh, at least historically um, in, in regulating this plant, um, you know, tasking them to, to do that is a challenge. But at this point, Sarah, like you mentioned, like, take the roadmap that <laughs> of, of which there are many at this point from other states that are doing it well. And you, you please don't reinvent the wheel, you know, please please take some historical lessons from other states that have done it better than others um, and, and implement um, and implement those, you know, like there's no need to start from scratch at this point um, anywhere um, kind of regardless of, of what we're talking about in like the spectrum of regulations, but it does feel like every single state that, that you know, like we're, we're, I'm working a lot in New York right now, um, you know, sort of helping my team lead the charge with, um, you know, um, the, the New York and New Jersey process. And <laughs> here we go, you know, <laughs> you know, to, to, two very, you know, two very meaningful markets that are going to be very different than other meaningful markets. And um, I don't, I don't get it. You know, <laughs> like I don't, like, it, it's frustrating that common sense, you know, rules the day or, or more common sense should rule the day. But like you said, maybe that's, you know, I mean, boiling it down, I don't, my firm obviously comes from such a strong, you know, policy um, background. Oh, that's yeah. not my background per se, um, but I'm getting, you know, such a fast education, you know, joining VS and, 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 and working with the team on, on these initiatives. Um, you know, I think you, you couldn't have said it better that it, we need to activate, you know, more voters. And um, my hope is that, you know, that's something that'll be a little easier to do, at least after this, you know, last federal election where, you know, we needed, you know, younger voters, you know, to, to show up and turn out. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about um, the other day I was reading that they were saying that New York might even eclipse California as far as being a cannabis state? I think it's possible. You know, I. <laughs> Because, um, uh, you know, California has, <laughs> we've, we've stumbled on ourselves a lot, you know, and so it's not like we got off to the best start ever. Um, and so um, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, and, and if you look at the California marketplace, you know, and the legacy market in particular, I mean, you know, I, I don't know the, the statistics um, or the numbers per se, but I would imagine a lot of the product grown in California ends up in New York. Um, so, you know, uh, I, 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 be, I believe it. 
you know, yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see um, their sort of rollout process. Um, but so far, the regulations have, as they are now, are a little more sort of open and friendly. Um, and I think will will allow for a more um, just competitive marketplace, you know, kind of let people obtain licenses and, and let them compete um, and let the market compete. You know, I, I think that the, like we already touched on two of the big issues in California, um, but it's just the frustrating thing about California is that, you know, unless you have six figures, you really can't, you know, you really can't obtain a license. Right. And so there's so much unlicensed brand activity, um, you know, I work with a lot of entertainers and, you know, entertainment brands and celebrities trying to get involved in the space and they have no leverage, right? Because it's like, Hey, we have this brand. We think it's going to be great. Cool. Do you have a license? No. Okay. Well then we're going to give you, you know, basically, you know, we're going to give you a net royalty deal and you're going to get essentially like 4%, you know, overall of, of what is, is sold. Right. And, right. um, and so, so, opening that up and making that a little easier for the, for the market, um, for, for, for operators to compete generally, I think will, will hopefully, um, you know, make for a more successful program overall. So I'm hoping the, I'm, I'm hoping that's the case, you know, I'm hoping New York does better than California. If, if nothing else that might incentivize California to kind of, um, you know, change and correct some, some of the major flaws in their system. One of which is, you know, the fact that we have three, you know, state agencies, you know, communicating or, or not communicating with each other. Um, you know, we have clients that have licenses in each state agency, um, but there, there's a consolidation taking place um, that should happen this summer where, you know, the, the three agencies are, are going into one. So I do think that will help as it relates to efficiency. You know, getting anything done at the state level right now is taking months, um, you know, for a license change or applying for a license. And, um, you know, that's also hurting the marketplace, right? We have, you know, well-capitalized, organized clients who are ready to go, and then it takes them six months to, you know, actually get their state license. Meanwhile, they're they're paying for their leases, you know, they're they're paying for their team. Um, That's, I don't care how much money you have, it's challenging to, you know, it's challenging to run a business um, when you can't sell your product for, you know, six, eight months. Yeah, yeah, it is challenging. And when we're looking at the legacy market, we're looking at a lot of black and brown folks. And some of them right. are trying to get into equity, but like what we've seen here in San Francisco, you've got people in the equity pipeline paying rent on spaces, and they're relying primarily on investments from friends and family and that's just not it's 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 not leveling the playing field and it's really disrespectful and not not at all and it's oh sarah it's it's so painful in la i mean i feel like it's probably i don't know san francisco's equity program as well as i know la it's just because i'm you know based here um but la is just it, it's it's so backwards right i mean you know la historically is a city right with corruption um, that has continued, you know, through this cannabis process, you know, the social equity process. I know people with social equity licenses that, um, you know, have seven figures in their bank account. Um, so, I mean, talk about I mean, equity, like what equity, right? Um, yeah. So there's so there's that issue. Um, and then the way they've structured it, right? I have so many, I have so many clients that want to help, right? And actually, they, they want to do, they want to support social equity businesses for every right reason. But the challenge is, you know, with this sort of this tier one social equity um, license in LA, the social equity applicant itself has to, must maintain 50% ownership of the license itself, and it's non-transferable. Well, any of our clients who are, you know, successful or slightly, you know, more well-capitalized, how are they supposed to solicit investment into a business that can't that one person can't dilute ever below 50%, right? Like, and, and the thought process there is, would you rather have 50% of a $50,000 business or 10% of a $30 million business, right? Like, right. Um, like just standard corporate sensibility means like in any successful business, you know, the majority shareholder dilutes at some point as the business gets more successful. And so 
that in and of itself has created massive roadblocks for meaningful financial participation in the social equity program. Um, and that's just one of those you know, areas that is extremely frustrating for me because I have people call me on a weekly basis, you know, wanting to participate and we try and figure it out. And once they, once we sort of peel back the layers and they understand what I just mentioned, um, it doesn't make sense. A lot of times it just doesn't make sense. Right. And it doesn't mean that, you know, my clients aren't trying to figure out other ways to support, you know, uh, social equity businesses. Um, but it makes it way more challenging. Right. And, and for some of our clients are like, Hey, the, the juice isn't worth the squeeze here. Like at, hopefully at some point we can help here, but right now like this, we can't justify getting involved right now, which is so unfortunate. And, you know, I mean, we don't exist without, you know, we don't exist without, you know, the people who risked right life, their life and liberty, you know, um, to, to be involved in this space before, you know, before any of this was, you know, uh, above board and legal. Um, and so the fact that, that we haven't really, uh, as a community, regardless of LA or we, we haven't figured out how to properly, um, you know, run these social equity programs, I, I don't think, um, and again, like 99% of my work is in California. So if there's someone listening, um, you know, that, that knows of a, a brilliant social equity program in another state, I apologize for my ignorance, but I'm just, you know, this is where I live and work. And, and so I can certainly speak to my frustration. My frustration is speaking to Southern California in particular. <laughs> well, it is frustrating. And it, the whole 50% is a, is a really clumsy stopgap to help people not be taken advantage of by investors. Right. Right. I get the, 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 the high level thesis makes sense, right? Yeah. But when you sort of actually have an understanding of how, you know, corporations work and how investment works, um, you know, and there, I, I don't know too many successful businesses where, you know, um, th- that, you know, one person owns 50% of the business for the life of the company. It's just, that's not, um, that's not how you scale a business. No, it's not. And that's, I think, one of the biggest things that across the board policy makers are, are not thinking about. They're not thinking about how, how business is actually done. And they're treating it like, you know, there, there are just all these things in place to make sure that, you know, nobody gets ripped off, but they actually end up kind of getting ripped off at the end. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and just like treating it like it's radioactive, treating us like we're constantly going to be trying to get out of paying taxes and diverting product. Um, and what they're not understanding is that, you know, even the people who are here in the, in the, 215 days that are coming up to speed they're they're not trying to pull anything over on anybody they're just trying to have a business they have the same problems and issues to solve as we all do right they have families and bills to pay and mortgages to pay and employees to take care of um i i've yet to meet you know a legacy operator that if provided an opportunity to participate in the legal market in a, in a fair and sensible way, wouldn't do it. I've yet to meet one, right? It's just like, Hey, Jeff, it doesn't make sense, man. Like we're not, we're not going to flip the switch until, until it makes sense. Right. And I, I I cannot blame them. You know, not, you know, I've been working in the industry for uh, like 11 years now. Right. And so I've really seen, you know, how things have evolved and I've seen a lot of people, refuse to participate in the legacy market and they failed as a result. Right. And, and so you have people who are really trying to be good actors who can't make it work. Um, and, and that's just, um, look, we, we just need to keep, you know, kind of pushing. Um, but, but it, it's, it's really brutal to see, um, you know, pr- particularly, you know, o- over the pandemic, I mean, California, you know, obviously did well, um, you know, despite the pandemic as it relates to our, our industry. But, um, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, a consolidation. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see more of that, you know, of companies and brands. Um, and that's that's not why I got into this space. You know, I, I love all of our, you know, larger clients and support them. And, um, you know, uh, of course, you know, it's not it's not their fault. It's just the fact that cannabis is turning more and more white collar, you know, by the day and turning into, you know, big industry and not cottage industry. 
um, is, um, is is really unfortunate. Yeah, and there there's there's room for both if they allow it. That's the thing. Like I, my the company that I come from, um, it, I I work for Apothecarium. I'm the public education officer there. And we started out as, you know, a little store in the corner in the Castro. And that was like back right. in the day, you know, weighing out flowers, having the growers come in. It was awesome to see for the first time ever farmers actually getting the money that they deserved. Right, right. You know, and then and now it's like now I'm watching it. And, you know, as a couple of years ago, we were purchased by Terrasend. So now we're here, Nevada, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. And you kind of see how things are changing. And it's, I think it's entirely possible for MSOs to have a heart and be engaging and do, do you know, well by doing good. And there's also a need to be able to have these small artisan growers because that's, you know, not, not, ev- not everybody, you know, wants to have the same thing. And, right. And, there's just a beauty to like the genetics that come out of those projects. And and, like yesterday I did an IG live uh, with chemistry and I went to, they, they went to one of the farms where, because they have a new pre-roll line out and they, there are different farms for each pre-roll. And so we went, Oh, that's awesome. It was awesome. And we were looking at this regenerative farm where, you know, they've got like vegetables and fruits growing around the cannabis and you know they have he's got gophers in his field you know and it's just like seeing just everything that he's doing and talking about the fact that he didn't he doesn't till the soil and why that is and these are just and you can tell the difference in the flower oh absolutely you know and i i'm always reticent to you know compare alcohol to cannabis but you know, craft beer and, and large beer, right? They both have their own place. And uh, I'm not a huge beer drinker, but if, if I am drinking beer, like I want something local, you yeah. know, like I'm not the guy that's going to buy, you know, the 30 pack of, of, you know, Bud or Miller Lite. Like I want something that's local. Um, and they both can and, and, and I think need to exist, right? And right. Then, you're, then you're really giving the opportunity um, for you know the terrace ends and, and the other MSOs to to uh, acquire and, and then purchase those those craft brands um, and that's that's how it should be. I have no issue with that. We need we need the MSOs um, you know to really you know uh, help kind of normalize um, you know the, the space at large. Right yeah. when we're talking about it's the entire country, we need we need a hundred percent right, and we need. You know, we need a little, you know, sometimes corporate cannabis is a good thing because it helps our optics, right? That's like one of the main reasons I got into the space um, was, um, you know, I started clerking in in cannabis back in 2010. You know, that was, you know, Prop 215 days. So it was criminal defense was basically my job, right? Like limited corporate business work and and mostly criminal defense. Um, And, you know, seeing not only the operators, but the service providers, you know, from a decade ago, it's a completely different marketplace right now, you know, and my, my goal at the time when we started, you know, when I started my firm with, with my partner, Luke, back in uh, 2015 was um, do, do what you say you're going to do. <laughs> Don't do what you say you're not going to do, you know, uh, be a reputable operator and deliver clients work product at, at reasonable rates. That was in and of itself a recipe for success, right? And so, like, we were trying to help, you know, just in, in our little corner, um, you know, help with the optics and help the industry grow up. And so, I mean, just by extension, that's that's helpful, right? Like, gr- groups that are organized, well-capitalized, you know, are run the right way, um, are dialed in, have all the right, you know, service providers um, kind of aligned with them. It's, re- it's, re- it's, it's vital. It's just um, – you know, I, I worry about the future of our culture um, if that's the only option. Yeah, I, I, I really am hoping that it goes the way of like of craft beer, where we start to allow more. Because, like in the '90s, you saw a lot of microbreweries popping up, and there was just more yep. allowances. And that's when we started also getting into like you know, specialized small batch spirits and things like that. And I, I think it's really, it's an important, rich part of our work. But um, 
I also, because I love the fact that we just dug into all this meaty stuff, but we never talked about your trajectory in the cannabis space. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to neglect so, that. <laughs> no, no, I, I appreciate that. No, it's just, uh, no, we, we, we dug right in. That's, uh, no, I have a feeling we could, I know we can't, but I have a feeling we could chat for hours. Oh, totally. Um, but another time, we, so, we will another time yeah, for totally. sure. <laughs> totally. Um, so, so yeah, you know, I actually, so I moved out to LA to be uh, a studio musician. So I, I did my undergrad in music and then, um, I got my master's degree in jazz saxophone actually from, from USC. Um, and I was, you know, record recording and touring professionally, um, in the area was, you know, performing with the Los Angeles Philharmonic and Hollywood bowl. And I'm on a couple episodes of family guy way back in the day. Um, oh, that's cool. and so it was, yeah, it was, you know, successful by all means, but kept going to gigs and seeing like the lawyers and managers for larger artists, um, just seeming like they had the better life. Um, it was, it, it was a grind. Um, I also, for better or worse, you know, really didn't enjoy, you have to teach as, as a, as a, you know, as a, as a professional musician. I, I just, um, I, I wasn't a natural teacher. I really didn't enjoy it. And so my thought was, Hey, go to law school, you know, and become a music lawyer, become an entertainment lawyer. Um, and, and kind of, you know, pivot, pivot your career that way. And so that's what led me to law school at Pepperdine in 2010. Um, in 2010, I was, um, you know, always had an incredibly supportive family, but I was totally bootstrapped. You know, I was working, I worked basically three jobs through law school. Um, not, not quite sure how, how I made it through. Certainly my grades reflected that I couldn't spend all day in the library, but I got through it. Um, you know, I was bartending, teaching music lessons, valeting cars, like anything I could to, uh, to, you know, pay my, pay my bills and eat, um, Thankfully, uh, my business partner, who I already mentioned, Luke Stanton, was, um, you know, was, was, was someone who I became very close with quickly at Pepperdine. And he was already working um, for uh, a cannabis defense or cannabis focused criminal defense lawyer named Eric Shevin, um, who is a, a dear colleague and friend and like legend in the Southern California um, cannabis industry. So, Eric, what's up if you're, if you're listening, bud? Um, but so. Luke was kind enough to get me an opportunity in working um, with Eric, um, and I also worked with uh, Ariel Clark, um, who is, uh, you know, another fantastic, um, you know, cannabis, hemp, and, um, you know, emerging therapies uh, lawyer um, as well here. Um, and so, you know, this was 2010, you know, Vicente Cedarbury actually launched in 2010. Um, Luke and I you know, I enjoyed the criminal defense stuff, but we really wanted, we hatched a plan back then to, you know, start our own business focused practice. Um, you know, once we were able to, and once we passed the bar, so graduated law school, um, and it didn't make sense for us to hang our own shingle right outside of the gate. Um, you know, that's not necessarily a recipe for success. So I, I, I kind of needed to get the entertainment bug out of me, right? I went to law school to be an entertainment lawyer. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, to land a job, um, as a lawyer, um, in the corporate department at William Morris Endeavor, um, you know, which is the, the world's largest talent agency. Um, that was getting, that was like receiving my master's in the entertainment space. Oh, for um, sure. the, the, the pace there was insane. You know, I worked, uh, I worked 80 hour weeks, you know, I worked, you know, six, almost seven days a week. Um, at the end of my time there, I ended up moving over to the personal appearance department, um, working for an agent named Brian Cohen, um, who managed, who, who, uh, is the agent for, you know, Damian Marley and Nas and, um, the, just, you know, a bunch of cannabis friendly artists. And my goal was to sort of align myself with cannabis friendly talent at WME, um, and, you know, who represents Rihanna and Lady Gaga and Snoop and Wiz. And so um, my, my goal was um, start, hey, let's start a cannabis division at, at WME. Um, I was way too far ahead of the curve. <laughs> that, was, that was 2014. Um, they were like, hey, we love your foresight, but we, like, we just can't. We're just not there yet. Um, and so had, an, had a tremendous experience there, um, but decided – um, that it made the most sense to go and do this myself. And so Luke and I started um, the Frontera Law Group in uh, mid uh, or in early 2015. Um, we were really fortunate, you know, that that was the perfect time. Like a lot of things in life, 
um, that work out well. Um, it was just timing meets opportunity meets preparation. We were hungry, um, ready to go. And um, our first couple clients um, ended up being very, very meaningful, you know, California operators. Um, you know, the, two of our first or our first three clients were um, Henry's original um, ease and, and MedMet. And so we, we helped, um, we sort of helped write the delivery Bible for, for ease across the state. Um, and this was when MedMen was, you know, very tiny. They, they didn't, they didn't have any assets yet. Um, and so we actually helped them, you know, paper, um, you know, their first couple of, um, acquisitions in, in Southern California. And that, um, really helped us springboard, um, into being a meaningful player in the space. Um, and we actually grew, you know, our firm to what I believe was the largest cannabis law firm in California. Um, we had, we had a, about 300 clients, um, you know, back in uh, 2019 before we ended up, um, you know, kind of selling our practice and, and, and uh, you know, joining Vicente Cedarburg. So um, it, that, that, um, that, that pivot made sense for us because, our clients, you know, uh, we're growing, you know, we're exploring other out of state opportunities. Um, we had a small but mighty team, you know, eight lawyers and like seven staff. Um, and I was just concerned of, of losing the client's overall business. Um, you know, Luke and I had had many, you know, several conversations with, with Christian, uh, Cedarburg at, you know, lots of different industry events. Um, and so, you know, beginning of 2019, we started having, um, those conversations and it, and it just made sense. And so um, middle end of 2019 was when we officially joined. Um, and that just gives us, uh, you know, a national presence. You know, it, we quadrupled our bandwidth right now. We have, you know, 50 lawyers instead of eight. Um, and it's been great. You know, um, I'm incredibly thankful for, for all of the VS team um, for, for welcoming us and, um, you know, it's, it, it's been wonderful. And I, I guess one thing that I sort of missed was um, because of my entertainment background and, uh, you know, I, I did start um, uh, co-founded a, a creative agency based in Venice called composite, which almost was like a marketing incubator <laughs> to, to, to start at the outset. Cause we had so many clients who I believed in and wanted to see them succeed, right. Cottage businesses that um, had, had like the, had the right vision and heart, but had the 215 optics, right, as it related to their packaging or their products, right? And mm -hmm. um, I was concerned they weren't going to make it in a post-64, you know, adult use world um, unless they really started to, you know, polish up the optics of their brand um, to compete um, with, with the larger players. And so, um, uh, you know, that's been great. Composite's been great. Obviously, last year was was tough for us, but that's a full service creative agency, you know, focused on, you know, brand ideation and design. Um, and we've worked with, you know, some of the larger, largest brands in the state. So um, shout out to the composite team if they're, if they're uh, tuning in right now. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I got here. I know that was uh, maybe a little long winded, but that's, no, that was uh, awesome. <laughs> that, that's the long and short. <laughs> <laughs> that's a journey. I think it takes time to tell yeah. that journey. Um, when you are, so when you're looking at like celebrities and cannabis, I know like, um, like well, my company, we just did a couple collaborations uh, this year. We did a collaboration with Chelsea Handler and then um, we were one of the first dispensaries to carry Seth Rogen's brand, Houseplant. Um, it's been really interesting. Oh, yeah, love it. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I was really, really impressed because, you know, you see, you, see a little, you see a lot of both. You see people who are, like, you know, enthusiasts but don't quite know, you know, what they're doing. And then you see people who are enthusiasts and they know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> You know, the, the, it, it's so it's such a funny topic because a lot of people get, particularly like you know, it, it, real industry people get so emotionally charged about celebrity cannabis, right? Yeah. Um, and then people are very opinionated about this. Um, and and you know, a lot of times I get asked like, you know, there, there's some people that come out of the woodworks and say like, how can you work? You know, how can you both be, you know, uh, call yourself, you know, a cannabis advocate and support 
you know, you know, the actual industry and then also support entertainment. And it's like, Hey, you need to, you're kind of lost in the forest right now. Like you're, you're staring at the tree, like zooming out, right? Like what effects, what helps effectuate change? Like celebrities, you know, like zooming out. Um, there are very few things as a nation we can, I think, collectively agree on, right? I think (laughs) the last couple of years has shown us that, um, one thing I think everyone can agree on is is the power of change um, or, or the, the power of, of, of change via, you know, veterans, um, via, uh, you know, children who are sick and, and via the, the power of, of, of celebrities, right, effectuating change through their opinion or just by nature of the, the breadth of their platform, right? And so that's always kind of been my approach is <laughs> – Celebrities don't necessarily need the money, right? But celebrities have the ability to change hearts and minds, and that's not something we can ignore, right? I think that's something we really have to embrace. You know, Chelsea is amazing. Um, Houseplant is incredible. You know, shout out to the Houseplant team. They're they're doing amazing things. Yeah, they're awesome, (laughs) all of them. Yeah. Um, You know, the importance, I, I think, boiling it all down and distilling it into what's important is authentic connection, right? Like, when there's actually an authentic connection to the celebrity and the product they're selling. Um, and there's an authentic connection, not only to that, but to the celebrity and the audience, right? Like watching some celebrities do the once a month Instagram post about their product. That's, that's not authentic, right? You really need meaningful, you know, participation. And I mean, that's one of the ways, you know, house plan I think is doing such a good job is, is they, they actually care about the plant and the industry, right? And that, 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 that shows, right, in, in the initiatives they're taking on and what they're doing. Their product is also pre- preeminent. You know, it's, it's, it's high-quality product, um, and, and, and that um, is, is a big differentiator. So um, it, it's such an interesting dynamic. I, I work with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of entertainers, a lot of the celebrity brands, you know, in the space right now. You know, we helped – um, get out there and I'm, I'm extremely proud of them. But, you know, I've also worked with plenty of celebrities that just thought it would be as easy as, Hey, just like slap my logo on a product. Who really cares? Let's like squeeze out the margins we can and like, let's do this thing. And I'll, I'll post some socials, but um, we're really seeing, you know, a huge gap between people that are just looking at this as a paycheck and people that are really trying to, you know, do this the right way. I mean, Houseplant took years, yeah. right, to actually come to fruition. And, and that shows, right? Like their their mindfulness shows in what they're releasing, their packaging, their optics, their accessories, right, which are just beautiful and are, are, are like art conversation pieces. Right. Um, and, and so um, that's why I am so bullish on, you know, the celebrity meets cannabis space. And hopefully as that continues to evolve, you know, the emerging therapy space, right? We need people, we need people who, you know, you don't traditionally associate with cannabis or other emerging therapies as, as, as we continue, you know, on this, on this path of, uh, of pushing forward, you know, and supporting, you know, plant medicine initiatives. We need people to help convince my mom, right? That, that this is good for you, right? My, 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 my parents are incredibly supportive of, of what I do and, you know, get a lot of education from me on the plant. But, um, you know, that baby boomer demographic, right, who probably, you know, for the most part revisited uh, or, or, or consumed cannabis, you know, 30, 40 years ago, um, it's actually more beneficial for them now than it ever was, you right. know, as it relates to the products we talked about. And so, that that's why I'm so passionate about it because I, I truly believe, and it's, it's not even like this is a unique opinion, but cannabis has its place for every single person and cannabis can make the world a better place for every single person. Um, you just need to find where, where it works for you, right. Or how it works for you. Um, and unfortunately um, for a lot of people, they just, you know, they, they live in a state or jurisdiction where, like they don't have access to the products um, that might be most beneficial for them. And so, um, you know, the more we can continue to, to normalize, um, you know, cannabis consumption, the way, um, you know, alcohol and tobacco are normalized. I mentioned that family wedding, right. <laughs> and I go home and um, look, I, I enjoy drinking. Um, but, 
you know, I go home and, you know, people, <laughs> at least at this wedding, you know, people were enjoying, you know, alcohol and tobacco exclusively, right? And you go outside and everyone's, you know, chain smoking cigarettes and, and, and crushing lots of drinks. And that's fine, you know, to each their own. Um, but, you know, there are other ways, healthier ways um, to enjoy yourself um, in a social or personal setting. Um, and that's, that to me represents like the power of celebrity, right. And something that I can, we can have these conversations all day, every day. Um, and, you know, you are doing a tremendous job thought leading and, you know, helping get this education out to the world. Um, but we can't do the same job that the rock could do. Right? Right. Like, we just can't. We don't have 100 million followers, right? We can't say something and have millions and millions of people listen to that um, every time we say something. And so that's, that is, you know, a, a long-winded way of, of, of expressing why, I, you know, I remain so passionate about the, the importance of, of celebrity involvement with, with cannabis. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it doesn't mean I support copping out and, you know, celebrity brands who are simply looking for a, a paycheck. That's, that's the opposite of what I want. Um, you know, I, I always want to stress the importance of getting involved for the right reasons, but um, we need, we need celebrities um, to really, I think, you know, get this across the finish line and finish the job of, of federal legalization. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I always use the ha- hashtag conversation is normalization. And there you go. You know, yeah, that's that's what celebrities do. I mean, and that's that's a thing, I think, too, like when we're looking at the industry, there are a lot of people who feel threatening and jaded when we're looking at, you know, celebrity endorsements or celebrity brands. But this is where there's a call for critical thought and people need to really like pause and take a look at what this person is doing because you know you have different models like like Damian Marley for example before he he got his brand going and everything he did the medication series of videos um right you know and actually I did one of those <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. It was fun. Well, I and when I was on the sound stage, I never have I'm a, the person who never has their phone on and like and my husband always gets frustrated with me cuz he's like when I can't find my phone, he can't call me because it's on silent. Uh <laughs> <laughs> But this day in particular for whatever reason, my phone was on and I was standing right next to Damian Marley when it went off on the sound stage and I have never been more mortified in my whole life. Oh no. <laughs> The one time, Sarah. The, the one time you had it on. Yeah, and he's just looking at me like, "Who is this asshole?" <laughs> <laughs> Would you know oh, you? Oh man, that's that's tough, but also hilarious. It was it was incredibly humbling and very funny <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> well, they, they, you know, he's a great he's a great example of you know someone that's you know in it for all the right reasons and. Um, you know, I'm close with, with Damien's, uh, team, you know, Dan, uh, Dan Dalton and, um, Dan's sister, Casey, uh, you know, are a part of, uh, ocean grown or owners of ocean grown extract. And, um, you know, they're doing amazing things in Koalinga. So, um, certainly shout out to, uh, to Damien's team, but, uh, don't, don't be too hard on yourself. That, that, that's now that's, now that's just a, a fun memory. No, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. I don't cringe but anymore. It, Enough years yeah. have passed. <laughs> Right, right. But I'm sure that phone's I'm sure that phone's never going to be on again. Never, <laughs> never. No, he's he's a great example. And then you look at like I mean, and going back to Seth, like people, I gosh, I can't even tell you how much haterade I saw on social media around that. And I really, I didn't say anything, but I really wanted to say you have no idea how involved this man is with the company. Like down to the fonts, he like looks at everything. And when before we did our release. He actually did a Zoom call with staff. Wow. I mean, that's that. I mean, Seth is just Seth is the perfect embodiment of, you know, what we need more of, you know, and um, I mean, that's I mean, that's that's so amazing to hear, Um, but also not surprising when you see the end result. Right. Because he Seth is the culture. I mean, a lot of a lot of the you know, a lot of what we think of, you know, when, as it relates to cannabis culture generally, I mean, he, he created it. He's like, he's the originator of, of a lot of, you know, our, our culture. Um, you know, and obviously there were, you know, many people before him, but I mean, he's, he's done a tremendous job without even, without even realizing it, I think consciously until, until now of, you know, helping to normalize the plant. And now with houseplant, 
you know, it's not just stoner, stoner sex, right? right. It's, um, it's sophisticated, right? With all it's, it's grown up. It's, um, you know, it, it's new, you know, it's adult. Um, and that, um, you know, seeing his evolution, um, and seeing what houseplants do, I mean, they are just a, a premier example of, of how that can be harnessed when done right. So I'm just, I, I, could, I can't say enough good things about houseplants just because, um, that's what I, that's why I've been on my soapbox for years about this, you know, that because that when done right, that that's what you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just feel like he's, he's a great model to aspire to. And, and he really, he really walks his talk. And I, that, that's the one thing that I'm hoping, I know that everybody's, you know, going through a lot of distress in the industry. And I think that's why there, there's a lot of backbiting, um, but we really need to stop and like calmly assess like what's going on around us and who actually is showing up. And he is one of the people who is actually showing up, which makes me so happy, especially because we carry him because there's nothing more disappointing than having a product. And you look at the person and you're like, Hmm. Okay. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. But no, we need, we need more. I mean, the, the, the only challenge is there's, there's not too many sets, you know, he's a pretty special, he's a pretty special guy as it relates to our space. But, um, you know, I, I mean, to me, the next, you know, wave is, is really going to be, you know, obviously athletes are involved, you know, both from a product side um, and, and uh, just an investment side, but that's really going to be the next wave, right. Once, um, I mean, a lot of the professional organizations, you know, have, have, have stopped testing, but um, th- that, that, that I think will be our next evolution, right, is, is we're kind of starting, um, you know, with musicians and, and actors, and that's going to evolve into, you know, athletes. And, um, you, know, so, you know, you look at Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt, right, like two of the yeah. most successful athletes of all time, like avid, avid cannabis consumers. So it's there. It's just not yet safe for them to really you know openly embrace that uh publicly yeah i i can't wait for the day that we can we can have more conversations with with our our celebrities that influence a lot of stuff in our lives and 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 just i think hearing those conversations i mean even going back to like even pre all this like i remember when i was still working in the shop and there was this lady who came in and she was in her late 80s and she just she signed up she got her card and she wanted to use cbd and she just looked at me she's like oh dr gupta says it's okay i'm willing to try there you go doctor i mean dr gupta changes a lot of hearts and minds you know and then yeah i mean that's that you know i mean all of my grandparents unfortunately um have passed but um you know, when they were alive, I mean, their doctors were, you know, their, their doctors were the closest thing to, to a living God for them, right? Like yeah. they hung on every single, and I get it, you know, but, um, you know, that, that, you know, they, my, my grandparents weren't on social media, you know, they weren't, um, you know, it was whatever the doctor said was okay, was okay. Um, and, uh, you know, before my grandma passed, she I kind of, I, I hid, I hid from her that I was uh, practicing uh, cannabis law, but, um, you know, uh, before she passed, I did have a conversation with her and, uh, she ended up, um, you know, telling me that, you know, she really, you know, oh, really believes in, in, in the medical, you know, power of the plant. So that was, uh, certainly a nice conversation to have, um, you know, before she left us, but that's, uh, man, d- d- anyone, you know, sort of at that level, the more we can do that, the better. And, and certainly you, Sarah, are also playing a, a crucial role here in, in just having these conversations and getting this out out there. So I can't thank you enough for, um, you know, for, for providing, you know, the industry with this opportunity that you're doing. Oh, thank you. I, I love having the conversations and, and just, you know, being able to connect with colleagues old and new and together we can do a lot of really great things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely agreed. So if our listeners want to follow you, how would they do that? What's are there? Do you have some websites or some social media that you'd like to share? Sure. No, I appreciate that. Um, or, um, you know, if you want to follow me personally, I'm pretty active on Instagram. It's, 
basically a hybrid of, of my music and, um, and, uh, you know, ca- cannabis news, um, and, and psychedelics news. Uh, my Instagram handle is J D Welsh, W E L S H. Um, and, uh, the firm's cannabis handle is B S cannabis law. Um, you know, you can also find us online at VicenteCedarberg.com. Um, and, uh, the composite agency website is composite agency, um, dot com. So feel free to follow me. If anyone listening, you know, has any questions, um, you know, shoot me a DM. I'm, I'm happy to chat with anyone, anytime. Um, I, I think it's important to always, um, you know, be willing, um, to, you know, talk to really anyone and, and everyone, um, about anything. So, um, anyone listening, you know, wants to have a chat with me, feel free to reach out and, um, and yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's, that, I think that's it for the socials. <laughs> well, I personally am excited to continue the conversation. So thank you so, so much. And for you listeners out there, uh, just a reminder, Planted is two times a month now. You can listen to us on Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, just about anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, we're there. And if you want to follow us on social media, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Twitter and Instagram will be Planted with Sarah. Insta- or, yes, and Facebook is Planted with Sarah Pion. Our website is www.plantedwithsarah.com. And, of course, you can always find us on our parent network, Radio Misfits Network. Shout out to Chicago. Um, Jeffrey, It's it's been a pleasure, and I really, like, seriously – Anytime you want to come back on the show, you've always you've always got a spot with me, man. Oh man, Sarah, I, I appreciate it. No, that this was such a lovely conversation and such a joy to connect. And uh, no, it's always I'm I'm just very grateful and always humbled for these opportunities. So again, thank you for doing you know what you do. You're playing a, an absolutely you know crucial role in in, in this industry and. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to make your acquaintance and let, let's do this again soon. That sounds awesome. And for everybody out there, until next time, it's loosening up out there, but stay safe, stay curious, and be good to each other. We'll see you next time. Take care.